The Monday Rewind. Welcome to The Rewind. What a weekend it was and what a week it promises to be. Now Murray for himself and over the line and it looks good for Conor Murray. Look at Tommy O'Donnell go and Ireland over the line for two tries in around two minutes. We certainly need to, to up our game. I do think that part of it was the pressure Italy put on us. I know we can do better than that and we're going to have to. Not it away, back to Blant! Oh, he scored! Daly Blant equalises for Manchester United deep into injury time. A volley off the knockdown from the ball into the penalty area. West Ham hearts are broken. You know, I just feel that Manchester United have David De Gea to thank for keeping him in the game that long with the amount of saves that he had to make today. Charging forward down the right-hand side, ball in towards Peter Crouch. Crouch with the header over the top. There's the equaliser! You say scrappy, but I'm not too sure what game you're watching because... Uh, Second half, now we've done really well, like I said, without scoring. So, um, your take on it is going to be different from everyone else, but uh, now credit to ourselves and still coming away uh, to get a good result today. So, now we're happy. I just thought the time was right. Um, I wanted to hopefully retire while I was champion jockey, and 20 is a good number, and um, I still enjoy it. I wanted to, you know, hopefully, while I was still riding well, I wanted to go out relatively at the top. So, um, time with for no man does it, so it's not going to wait for me. Quite emotional about it, aren't you? I am, yeah, because I, I love riding. It's, a, it's the right thing to do, you know. I, I'll, I'll hold judgment on that until we play some more games. I think people making judgments about somebody on one game is speckle in the extreme, but I do expect that from certain quarters. I have another five and a half weeks of doing my own thing, concentrating on the club, getting myself ready for an Ireland final, and then you know I'll be able to go off into the sunset and 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 decide whether I'm going to stay or not. And uh, that's a brilliant feeling to have, and I'm really looking forward to to going to Crow Park now. I know it's early Monday morning, a lot of Arsenal fans will be going back to work this morning and it's kind of the nightmare scenario for them to have lost to Spurs. Do you sort of understand how much look, the look, fans... Have you are... any other questions, please, for tomorrow's game? We had a press conference for Leicester tomorrow's game and we have answered already that uh, uh, I don't feel ways to dwell too much on that now and it's important to focus on the next game. There you heard from Joe Schmidt on Ireland winning in Italy, Mickey Hart on the criticism of his Tyrone squad, Henry Shefflin on his future after reaching the All-Ireland Club final, Tony McCoy on his retirement, and off the balls David McIntyre's commentary of Daly Blinn's equaliser in yesterday's one-all draw with West Ham at Upton Park. Angry Arsene Wenger was also in there, speaking ahead of Tuesday's meeting at home to Leicester, which comes just days after a 2-1 defeat to Spurs. That leaves them sixth, two points behind Manchester United, who are fourth. Coming up, more on all that, including Shane Jennings and Alan Quinlan on Ireland and where they need to improve ahead of the clash with France next Saturday at the Aviva. Mayo defender Keith Higgins on their system's failure against Tyrone and a bit more on the Allianz League to boot. We've also got more from Henry Shefflin. Glenn Whelan argues with Nathan Murphy that Stokes' one-all draw with Newcastle was not scrappy. And also, he looks ahead to their clash with Manchester City this week. Kenny Cunningham analyses Manchester United's one-all draw away to West Ham, in which they went a bit too long ball for the liking of Manny. Plus, Geica Mendieta backs Van Hal, asks for patience for Di Maria, and looks ahead to Manchester City against Barcelona in the Champions League. As well as all that, we've got former All-Ireland winner with Tipperary John O'Brien on retirement and the Allianz Hurling League, which begins next week. First up, though, it's Six Nations Rugby, and Ireland's win over Italy, and next Saturday's meeting with France. We'll get the analysis of Alan Quinlan and Shane Jennings shortly, but first, we hear from Ian Keatley, Paul O'Connell, and Joe Schmidt. We ground them down a, a little bit. Uh, I think it was on the back of a, a really solid set piece. I, I did think that um, 
you know, some guys who haven't played a lot of rugby in recent times. I thought Mike Ross was really solid for us. Again, the line-out allowed us to keep the pressure on them. I think we maybe pilfered four of their balls, and our, our own line-out was very, very solid, and that's what allowed us effectively to put the pressure on in, in the far right-hand corner. We spoke during the week about playing for 80-plus minutes, and you know, I think if you're going to talk about it, you have to be willing to do it, and, and I think we were. Um, and I think in the second half, once we were just a little bit more accurate, once we held on to the ball, um, we were able to put them under more pressure. And eventually, I think the penalties told. Um, you know, they had a man put to the bin. We managed to get a try. Tommy scored a good try. So, um, yeah, it was. The patience was, was a good part of it. Yeah, the benchmark that was sent, set by England last night uh, in that second half, I, I thought it was a very good Wales team. And, and uh, really, England just probably kept the pressure right on them and, and the, the physical nature of that battle certainly means that we've got a bit of work to do without a doubt and, and we'll have to roll our sleeves up early on next week and, and hopefully put together uh, a sufficiently improved performance to, to be competitive with France. And it's a really good start for Keatley and Ireland lead in Rome. In the game a couple of times I think he, he was probably a, a little bit nervous and We'll have a look at that, have a chat about it, and um, I think what you can't take away is that that's, that's a small piece of experience he's had that will help him acquit himself in the future. I remember leading up to the, to the match, I got nervous, and uh, I was just thinking to myself that I remember watching, watching them winning in France last year, and I, I just remember that I, I wanted to be there. I remember I was actually watching on my, on my own at home, and I just really wanted to be out there. So whenever I got nervous... Leading up to the game this week, I just kind of reminded myself, it's like, this is where you want to be, so suck it up, really. Uh, but in the match, like, nerves nerves obviously can be positive and negative, and, like, everyone's going to get nervous. Uh, it means so much to you. Uh, if it didn't mean that much to you, you, w- you probably wouldn't get nervous. So uh, just a few deep breaths, and uh, I think with the kick in, uh, maybe one or two out of hand, I'd probably rush, but then once I got settled first 10 minutes probably rushed it a bit but then once I got settled into the game I felt comfortable out there ah, to be honest with you Johnny's done uh, such good work over the last two or three or even longer than that but uh, in, in the Irish jersey over the last three or four years uh, like he obviously deserves a number one position like he's one of the best out house in the world so like, to be honest with you uh, I, I, I presume that he's going to be straight in there for the French match even though he hasn't played in a while I still think he's he's been keeping fit and uh, you need Johnny Sexton in your team um, whether, whether the sub position I honestly don't know what's, ha- what's going to happen there uh, I'm just I'm just delighted with that uh, with, the, with the win today first and foremost and I can still iron out uh, a little bit of my performance uh, and I'm sure Joe uh, I'll go through it with Joe and now uh, uh, I'll just look to improve. This is the Rewind on News Talk and that's the view of Ian Keatley, Paul O'Connell and Joe Schmidt on Ireland's 26-3 win over Italy in Rome. Let's get the analysis now of Shane Jennings. But first, Alan Quinlan. I think we're a bit naive. You know, one-off runners trying to run into to, to Italian guys one-on-one. Off relatively slow ball and we started to see a little change of emphasis uh, shift in the point of contact where the, that loose forward was passing it on to a guy outside and giving him a chance to put some feet on, just getting that little gain line. And, and rugby's all about trying to get over the gain line. If you yeah. if you don't get over that gain line you're, and, and you're tackled backwards, it's very difficult for your halfbacks or your back line to create anything. And that's probably why we didn't create anything. 
still sloppy, you know, a few turnovers, forcing passes. We're all crying out for offloads, but they weren't offloads that were on. It was just poor passing behind each other. And that comes from a bit of rustiness. So uh, Joe will sit down, you know, no coach will go in and shout, scream and roar in a dressing room. You look at the positive, he'll say, well done, 23-point uh, win. A uh, bit of a boost there. There wasn't a try against the Italians. Mm. That would have put a real damper on it because that seven points could be vital in the end if it comes down to points difference. But uh, he'll address it. He'll look at it tomorrow and I'm sure he will um, give the team a little bit of a rollicking about uh, being sloppy in certain areas. There was rustiness and I think there was one occasion Zebo in the first half got uh, counter-rooked for a poor sloppy finish and that's the things that will annoy Joe because they're the things that are in the control of the Irish players. So... You can only really control what you're in control of. And if you can do that, so if you looked after the ball a bit better on the ground, if you fought a bit longer and you got a bit of a better placement for Conor Murray, I think things could have happened. And I think that's what Quinny's said. I think said. the gain line is the key, isn't it? To, to engage, you mentioned it there, engage in the Italian defence. If you can get over that gain line, the way Joe Schmidt wants his team to rock, yeah. the way Leinster have rocked over the years, is you take out the first threat, you knock him on the ground, the second guy gets knocked on the ground. And suddenly you have three or four Italians on the ground. And then you can kind of generate quick momentum and space. Whereas we were getting tackled on the gain line by one Italian who has been a nuisance. We were burning three or four players into that. And then all these guys are in front of you. So that's kind of the key. That's exactly it, yeah. I think people need to get away from this idea of Joe Schmidt with Leinster and this style of Leinster rugby that we play that, that's a few years ago and it's not apples for apples you know there's different personnel um, and there's ageing personnel that was in that Leinster team and things like that so you can't really compare I think his coaching strategy and Simon's coaching strategy along with Les and, and Fiki they're all kind of singing off the same hymn sheet where what Quinny said if if the ball carrier dominates if he can get over the game line if he can commit one or two guys in the attacking rook whilst committing a few of them that's where the space is going to be and I think that's the thing that they're going to concentrate on more is that uh, listen, it's going to be a completely different game next week I think take the positives look at certain areas that the Irish team are in control of and uh, let's get beyond this kind of Leinster Joe idea because yeah, he, can, he can't do that he can't do what he's, what he's done in Leinster because in Leinster he's working with those guys day in day out every day of the week weekends he's doing individual sessions with Ireland you get a group of players you have them for a little block and if you start trying to work on all these individual skills and, and, and really pushing an expansive game plan you can forget about your set piece your scrum your small clinical basics of the game so what Joe's his approach here with Ireland is, is do the basics incredibly yeah. well and hopefully when they play a couple of games together so I'm positive and I think a positive that they'll play a lot better next week they'll have this game under their belt and sometimes that can happen with internationals we saw in the Wolfhounds game last week, guys thrown together, good players in that Wolfhounds team, but they just look very disjointed. Mm. So they got to take the positive as Shane said. There's no doubt it was a sloppy performance. It could have been a lot better, but it's a job done. I've been in Rome many times and it's been a dogfight. We saw Gara getting a, a, a drop goal there the last, um, you know, four years ago to win yeah. a game when we had a very, very good, powerful, experienced Irish side. Two years ago beaten. we were beaten. Um, you know, once or twice I can remember going there where we we pulled away in the last twenty minutes and got twenty thirty point wins, but it's 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 a tough place to go. But in saying all that, the great thing about this is you get the job done. You look back and they will be shown and highlighted in the video where they made the mistakes, where they made the errors. Lines are running. 
the engagement around the breakdown, dominant ball carries, and 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 if they get better for that next week, um, it'll be a positive. I think another positive is our discipline was pretty good, like three points. Obviously, I think yeah. I don't know what the penalty count was, but I know Ireland's was very very low. The Italians gave the Irish team a lot of opportunities due to ill discipline, you know. So that's another positive. That was Alan Quinlan and Shane Jennings analysing Ireland's win over Italy and the game to come against France next week uh, with Off the Ball. Don't forget they're live from the Ballsbridge Hotel next Saturday with the 42.ie, our favourite sports app. This is The Rewind. You can contact us on MondayRewind at Newstalk.com. Still to come, the response of Mickey Hart to criticism of his Tyrone squad and Henry Shefflin on Ballyhale's win over Gort. Also, are games refereed differently within Galway? as compared to outside Galway. Well, Gort selector and club secretary Mike Finn thinks so. We'll hear from him soon. We also hear from uh, AP McCoy on his retirement and Ivan Yates tells us exactly what makes McCoy that great. Um, not everyone is into racing and we heard a lot about McCoy this week but um, I think it's important to give a context as to what kind of an athlete and person he is. Ivan Yates has compared it to Brian O'Driscoll retiring and I guess from what I've heard and from what I've read that actually is a very fair comparison more on that later the Premier League now and yesterday Manchester United drew one all away to West Ham that keeps them fourth in the table after the game off the ball's commentary team of Kenny Cunningham and Dave McIntyre assess the match well that'd be my criticism I wouldn't mind if United were playing that, like that clever football and good uh, one touch combination play moving the ball quickly getting the ball into wide areas putting cross in the box and creating opportunities uh, a lot, you know, alongside that direct uh, style of play that, that's a good balance to have in the team you've got a, a threat from both areas but we didn't see that type of football from Manchester United from the majority of that game really struggled to work the ball through that central midfield Van Paris and Falcao felt a little bit sorry for a little bit isolated the two, the two moments of quality that they created second half was pretty much between themselves there wasn't a lot of clever uh, build up play behind them you know so, so that's the big concern for me from Manchester United's point of view we know defensively they're not totally secure but again the, the balance uh, going forward isn't great yes they have wonderful individual players who can win the game in an instant and we've seen that already this season but over the course of the season I think that could come back to haunt them by virtue of the quality of the opposition who are chasing them down You were with me at the Emirates a week ago when we were talking about that top four battle and out of all the teams you did say that you felt Manchester United were the most vulnerable and I guess having watched them today you're, you wouldn't be inclined to change your opinion on that yeah you can see it you know when I, when I see Southampton shape up in and out possession of the ball I, team is, I see a team with real structure, structure players comfortable in their position knowing what's required of them in and out possession in a football you can see that in Liverpool now to a certain extent you certainly see it with Tottenham we saw bags of that uh, yesterday uh, against Arsenal and, and I don't see I think Manchester United are still searching for it and it's almost like fingers crossed that somebody's going to produce a bit of magic and win the game for us and that's probably the case against maybe inferior opposition uh, Opposition, but against your equals, and I put Southampton, Liverpool, Arsenal uh, as their equals at this moment in time. I think those teams have the edge on Manchester United. I think they need to improve. They need to get better. Well, they're going to play all these teams again this season. If you were sitting down on a one-off game with any of Liverpool, Tottenham, or Arsenal, would you bat United to beat any of them? No, I wouldn't for the reasons that I, that I've said. I mean, you could flip that around and say, well, at least there is scope for improvement. They can improve, and he needs to do it. He needs to get on the training pitch. We know he loves the training pitch. He knows uh, he loves uh, his preparation, the attention to detail, but he needs to find a fit. He needs to find a fit for this group of players at this moment in time. I think he's still searching, and I think it, they're going to be found out. I think it's, it's an Achilles heel for them. We know the certain areas of the pitch they need to strengthen, but are they getting the very best out of players they have available, available to them at this moment in time? I don't think they quite are. And quickly a word on West Ham because I mean they are part of the story as well today. They were 
dominated the game for periods of it and they got the goal from Koyate and they did look like they were going to take all three points how far do you think they can go they, this result leaves them an eight is that maybe just just about where they should be and where you would expect them to end up oh I think so even if they'd have won this game today I wouldn't have expected them to mount any kind of challenge for the Champions League I think Europa um, football is the very best that they can hope for and I don't think they'll get that I think kind of the 8th position 7th to 8th is probably a realistic position for them they should be they should be proud of that it's difficult for a team like West Ham having had such a good start to the season to maintain that level of consistency for the, for the course of the whole season that's a, a big ask but I give credit to them today again they were organised a great work, work ethic uh, around the team and a real cutting edge uh, high up the pitch again Saka has some really good moments during the during the course of the game and credit to Sam Allardyce and his players great character a real steal uh, in the team and they were lacking in one or two areas of the pitch today Winston Reid um, not available and Collins has sent the half Kuyate had to step in there and, and done a manful job you know, so I give, give a huge amount of credit to Allardyce and his players but I think European football might be just beyond them this season so that's the view of Kenny Cunningham, ex-Valentia, Barcelona, Lazio, Middlesbrough and Spain player. Gaika Mendieta was in town today. I spoke to him about Angel Di Maria, Manchester City and Luis Suarez. But first, about Manchester United at large. Well, there are so many things we could talk to you about, but we'll start with Manchester United. You were one of the first to give Louis van Gaal your backing when he took over. How do you think he's doing so far? Uh, still there. I think he's still trying to find his, his identity and his philosophy and the way he would like to, the, the team to play. Uh, obviously the same for the players I think still for the games I've, I've watched um, still you can't really tell that uh, his idea is really on display and, and working but uh, getting there is difficult it's difficult especially when you have so many talented and quality players and, and you have this idea that you want to, to, to put on display but uh, give it time be impatient the results will come uh, I think we, we can see the progress the, the the team was when he got there and the points is, is, is grabbed and that fourth spot uh, he looks closer. We saw yesterday against West Ham they kind of went very direct, very long ball. Is that the right thing to do when you need to try and pull a result out as they did? You bring on a player like Fellaini and he adds something different or would you like to see them stick to what they do as a club and what Van Hal seems to like to do as a manager, play football? Well, but I think sometimes you have to realise that, that, that results are important as well. And, and when you have that type of play like Fellaini, uh, which gives you something extra that not, not many teams can defend against, uh, why not using it? Uh, definitely, I would prefer to, to see this man you playing you know, the nice football, attacking football. But you have, sometimes you have to adapt to what you have and what, what the game requires. And, and obviously, as experienced manager, Davan Hallis, he, he, he have always uh, this this, support, this uh, type of football in, in, in hand and use it. Why not? It's bringing results. He worked on the other day. He worked also in the uh, on the game uh, two weeks ago. Uh, so in the cup against uh, against uh, Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah. Looking too many, maybe sometimes too many diagonals, but but you have to have play and make the most of what you have. Di Maria's form has been questioned. They spent huge money on him. In some ways, can that be very bad for a player when such money is spent? It's something you've experienced of yourself, you know, huge transfer fees being paid to you. Does that add a lot of pressure to an individual? And do you think that's what's happening with Di Maria? No, I don't think so. In my case, he never, he never affected me in any way. Uh, that was nothing to do with me. I was focused and worried about football. That was what I about care on those days. And I think any footballer, that would be what goes through his head, never thinking about the money. Um, Di Maria, well... 
for as much as, as, as a great footballer and, and a new, new team, new club, a club that itself is going through an adaptation and, and, and a change in, in transformation. And for himself, as an individual football player, he's still adapting to the new club and new football. So, again, it's time. Probably is the last thing that the Manju fans want to hear about, time. <laughs> they want to see and hear about football and results. And it's difficult, but... That that is football all the way through. It's not as simple as just to you know go, go. especially when you've been attached to a, a, a style of football for so many years, and all of a sudden you have to change. And and with a manager that likes to change four three three four like a diamond, and then three up front or two up front, three at the back five midfielder. It's sometimes difficult also for the players themselves to 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 get the whole sort of meaning of what the manager wants and, and it takes time How do you see the title race going Manchester City slipping up over the weekend Chelsea pulling it out against uh, Aston Villa well I think after City Chelsea that draw sort of hinted what, what, what this Chelsea is about latest results shown that I think this Chelsea is too strong to, to anyone to really keep the pace up with um, and, it, and it's made a statement that the weekend again this is the team to beat uh, Quite advanced in the season, and, and, and it's difficult to imagine that Chelsea could draw a lot of points to to let Chelsea, uh, Man, sorry, Man City, get any closer to challenge the title. Still, a lot of games to go, but I, I find it difficult that, that imagine that Chelsea could draw all those points, especially like football, uh, the, the way they play, the depth in the squad, uh, the, the obviously Mourinho knowing knowing the Premier League as well as his ass and his squad, so. Chelsea for me the one to beat yeah. Have we seen how important in the last few weeks given that he hasn't been there how important Yaya Toure is to Manchester City He is because not just the quality the physicality the, the, the experience in the team uh, it gives to the to the to the team uh, for as much as we obviously see this, this Man City club want to, to it, it was for me at the beginning of the season to, to win the, the, the Premier League but when a team misses those opportunities when they have them, obviously it shows that it's something lacking there. They actually wasn't there in the in the recent games, but it wasn't there neither, or it was there uh, eventually early in the season. So it's not just about him. Obviously, he's a, a, a important part of the, of this team, but the, it's something else about this this team that it doesn't perform when it comes to do Champions League or, 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 or beating and winning the, the key games in the season. That's something they need to improve. You mentioned the Champions League. They're up against Barcelona uh, in that competition. That's that's going to be some pair of ties, isn't it? Well, it's difficult. I think it gave them or it should give them giving them the, the boost that go through like they didn't do the last the past two seasons. That confidence in the football. But Barca again, Barca moment are, are playing very well. Um, it won't be easy. Uh, you have to play at your best, and even sometimes a bit of luck uh, when you play against the biggest teams in Europe. And, and at the moment, Barca, the confidence—not just on Messi, Neymar, and Suarez, also the midfielders are working very well. I think Luis Enrique has found that balance. Whenever, even when he rotates the midfield players, uh, it makes them again. Obviously, talking now in, in February, uh, one, one of the favorites or the most favorites. So City. He's going to have to be performing at his best and a little bit more. Barcelona have been criticised this season uh, along with their manager. Has that been fair? Barca, Madrid, Chelsea, City always going to be criticised. Always fans, press, 
expect the best out of them. Whenever it's not being delivered, it's going to be criticised, especially when the methods are not the usual, like Luis Enrique was with Barcelona, rotating, repeating a team, still yet to repeat one team. Uh, obviously, results coming, so people being quiet and, and accepting that that might be a way that it was for Barcelona. Uh, but still, a long way to go. Uh, hopefully, Barca has seen his worst in the season and, and, and can maintain and keep these this performances and their results until the end of the season, where didn't happen last season. The last two or three games really dropped physically and it's when all the titles went through a slip of the hand. So, well, Luis Enrique worked that in their position to not happen that again and, and let's see, let's see. Still, obviously, a long, a long, a long season to go to, and, and, and the important moments of the season to come. A relatively slow start for Luis Suarez. I guess a lot of that was because he couldn't play. Scored at the weekend, but before that was hit and miss. Why do you think that was? Was was it him as an individual? Was it Barcelona as a team? Well, one obviously not play for so long. Uh, competitive games, uh, for as much as you train, it doesn't. It's not the same. Then coming to the team and play with Neymar. And, and Messi on your flanks, that reduced the amount of, of balls he gets uh, per game as he used to do for for Liverpool. Uh, another another thing against him, obviously, the, the, the type of football they play. Teams tend to drop deep and not leave him too many spaces, as he always liked to have when he, like when he did uh, when he played for Liverpool. So you you find himself in a position where he's a number nine. Where there's not many spaces in areas where he could move to, so he have to, if anything, work more for Messi and Neymar in the way he he fixes the the centre halves. So it's a lot of yeah. things that he's changed both personally and 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 in his team and in his football. But if you look at the at the dynamics of the team, I think he's, he's doing an excellent job. His movements are right. Uh, his 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 commitment with the team and the club, uh, I think, are fantastic. And the goals, yeah, maybe he's, we've seen him miss his, missing chances that he didn't miss with Liverpool. But again, matter of time, the quality is there. You can see, you can see that that, that, that is, a, you know, that 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 little extra luck that sometimes strikers need. And but, but the, like I said, performances and the work is there. Is is, is the player we've seen for Liverpool. Just before I let you go, we saw Spain struggle at last uh, summer's World Cup. Do you think they can get things right and? And bounce back, or will it take a while? Well, it'll take a while to go back a, 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 to see a Spanish team that he, that he wins uh, European Champions and World Cups again. Uh, we'll get there, I'm sure we will, because the quality, the players we have, um, the managers we have, they know exactly what was what, the, the, the things to do and what we're aiming to. But yeah, again, it, it requires time to, to go to, through this transition and try to get. I mean, we, we had a bunch of players that, that we played together for so many years and, and now all of a sudden, although we have the quality and, and the individuals, it's about the performance as a team and that's what the, the, the manager have to work on. Guy Mendieta speaking to me in Dublin today as Satanta Sports announced the acquisition of exclusively live rights for the Champions League and Europa League from 2015-2016 in the Republic of Ireland for three years. This means the Satanta Pack will show all group games in the Champions League live on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, while the group games in the Europa League will be broadcast exclusively live on Thursday nights. 
The finals of both tournaments will be shown live on the Satanta Sports Pack. This is the Rewind on News Talk. More Gaelic football and a preview of the Allianz Hurling League with John O'Brien to come. But first, Stoke and Ireland midfielder Glenn Whelan featured in their one-all draw away to Newcastle. That result leaves them 10th in the league. After the match, Whelan spoke to off-the-ball commentator Nathan Murphy about the game itself, his new contract and their clash at home to Manchester City on Wednesday. Well, Glenn, I don't think it'll be remembered as a classic, but... I would imagine it would have been a bit of a sickener if he hadn't come away with something from it. Yeah, well, obviously, how well we done second half, um, we're out, we're out scoring, and their first chance second half, they they put it away. So um, now, obviously, it just shows a little bit of character that we've we've got, and and having the dressing room to come back from one down with obviously ten minutes to go, and no better man than than Crowley being on the back stick. So now, pleasing. This time last year, this fixture, it wasn't a particularly good memory for you. You received an early booking. How does that affect you when you're? get that booking so early how does it affect your game didn't really affect you when you were diving into that late challenge at the end I guess yeah no I was obviously disappointed when you get booked for winning the ball um, but yeah I think there was one or two two chances the second second half where I maybe could have went in a little bit earlier but I did have that in the back of the head if, if I don't get in here first then I could be off so yeah disappointing because last year I got sent off on the same ground so um, and then we got hammered actually afterwards so I uh, didn't want that to happen again can these games be difficult to play in at this stage of the season? You're mid-table, so are Newcastle. You're both essentially safe. There wasn't at times there wasn't a huge amount of pace, but it was quite scrappy. Can that be difficult as a, as a player? No, not at all. Because we're here for a reason. We're here to, to kick on. And you say scrappy, but I'm not too sure what game you're watching because uh, second half now we've done really well. Like I said, we're outscoring, so um, your take on it is going to be different from everyone else. But uh, now credit to ourselves and Stoke coming away uh, to get a good result today. So now we're happy. What are the, the goals and the motivations for the rest of the season? Well, it's trying to get into Europe. Um, we haven't given that up. We're still in the FA Cup uh, as well. So now, um, obviously, the manager won't let us rest on our laurels. Uh, we go out. And th- we're on a mission to try and get as many points as we can and, and hopefully beat what we got last year, which was 52 points and finish ninth. So if you can get more than that and, and finish higher than ninth then it's been an achievement for us It's been a big couple of weeks for you signing the new contract was there ever the possibility that you might have left? Yeah there was always the possibility I was going to leave if I wasn't offered a contract so um, now obviously delighted to get that all sorted now not just for myself but for my family and friends uh, gives me a little bit of security over the next two years but also gives me the chance of uh, being in the, the, the manager's plans as well so he was happy for me to stay and, and obviously like like I said, I've, I've been here seven years. I uh, loved every minute and I want to really enjoy it now uh, while I can. And then getting to captain the side today, I guess, shows the faith that Mark Hughes has in you. Yeah, big achievement for myself and, and family. It's it's something that can't be taken off me to to be a skipper in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, no, it was nice to have uh, Will the main, the main guys out, uh, Shawcross, who is going to miss a couple of games. But, um, no, I would, would step in and, and try and fill his shoes if I can, uh, by all means. A huge game coming up in midweek against your former club, Manchester City. These are the games, I guess, that you, you live for. Yeah, for me personally, obviously, I spent five years there. and That's where I was skilled, where I was brought up and where I learned to play football. So, um, no, we've we've done well of late uh, in recent years, especially at home against them. So, um, no, we're looking to, to go in and get the right result. We, we beat them away from home. So, if we can uh, get the result again on Wednesday, now will really kick us on. I'd imagine Mark is ramming it into you that you don't want to let this season peter out but for you personally as well you can't let that happen because there's so many important international fixtures is that in your mind as well that you you're always wanting your own level of performance to say hi to make sure you stay in that side yeah definitely because you never know who's coming to watch these games um i've always said it before if i'm not playing well for stoke then then i won't have a chance for the, the internationals but um 
obviously disappointing last time out for the for the Ireland team and now big game next one um, to try and get three points to, to keep us right in the hunt so um, yeah like I said um, when it comes around it's it's very important but at a minute it's about it's important to, to stay in the Stoke team and stay fit and stay healthy and hopefully things will uh, look after itself Yeah do you talk about about Ireland during these quiet months because there's such a strong Irish contingent here or do you very much just wait till the, the week of the match Oh obviously it's we talk about um, obviously not just not just the lads who are here we've obviously friends with the other lads uh, obviously meet one or two lads as we as we play against them on, on the weekend but um, I think it's it's difficult because it's I think it's what the end of March now yeah. the next game so now still plenty of football to play and gives lads to get a bit of form um, and hopefully lads stay like I said stay injury free as well so come the end of March when the, the manager has to pick a squad and, and pick a team now we, he's got a headache so um, now massive game and, and it's one definitely we need to look forward to because if you want to qualify it's a game we need to win Have you spoke to Mark about the injury he picked up? I don't think it's too bad um, he's been struggling a little bit during the week um, just feels a little bit tightness so I think it was a case of uh, now just get off while it's not too bad and, and hopefully recoverable uh, now Mark, um, he'll be trying all sorts to get ready for Wednesday if he can, but uh, if not, then i as soon as possible. That was Glenn Whelan, and this is the Rewind on News Talk. Now it's Gaelic Games, and yesterday Cork, Tyrone and Kerry all won their Division 1 encounters away to Monaghan, Mayo and Derry, while on Saturday night Dublin overcame Donegal at Croke Park. They were the only home winners in Division 1 this weekend. Well, Mickey Hartside beating Mayo 111-17 to in Castlebar with an ultra-defensive performance. After the game I spoke to Hart but first Mayo defender Keith Higgins and I put it to him that it just didn't happen for his side. No that's, <laughs> that's one way of putting it alright yeah uh, frustrating time today a lot of wides there both first half particularly in the second half but um, you know you'll have data that where you come up against a system like that and it's down to us now trying to figure out a way of beating it if we do meet it again. How frustrating is it because it's not like you would have been surprised by what Tyrone did. Um, small bit surprised that they went as defensive as they did to be honest with you but look um, like I said the way things have gone the last few years you can't be overly surprised if that happens um, like I said it's, it's hard to put into words again like that I mean you're kind of standing the full back line there and there's maybe one player beside you in the rest of the half and all the play's gone over there and it's back and over but um, like I said it's going to be a challenge for us like I said we're just focusing ourselves now we've two weeks off and a lot of work to do but like I said that's, that's the part and parcel of the league you know it's, it's always going to be competitive like that Let's look at the positive of so many wides. You had 15. That means you are creating chances. Why do you think they didn't go over? Why do you think they didn't quite happen? You have to put that down probably to... Uh, maybe we were shooting from wrong angles. A lot of Tyrone pressure on up there. Um, probably forced to kind of take the shot maybe when we weren't fully set up for it. But look, um, I thought there was chances there in the first half where we did get into decent positions. Um, just didn't go over. But like, like I said, we were creating chances at times. But like I said, it's probably not from the positions we want or... But uh, that's the way it goes. Are the work-ons from this game kind of the same work-ons as have been there for the last couple of years, or what do you think? Um, I think so, yeah. Like I said, you're not going to have days like that every day. Like um, You're not going to meet systems like that every day. So I said, we have two weeks off now. We'll focus on ourselves more than that. We'll look at the way they played, see if we, if we do meet it again, what we'll have to do. But I said, the next two weeks, we'll be pretty focused on ourselves. Mickey Hart, a good 1-7 to 1-11 win over Mayo here in McHale Park today. It was a very good win for us. Um, we needed the win. Uh, we were berated a lot for last week and right, deservedly so we didn't perform we performed for 25 minutes and then we were quite bad the rest of the game so we had to ask a lot of questions of ourselves and try and produce a better performance and we got that today What did you change? I mean you seem to be extremely defensive today the Mayo players and management have commented on that was that something you kind of changed uh, intentionally and was it a plan to, to catch them on the break as you did? 
Well, it was it was a good day for us to meet Mayo because they'd been buoyant after their win in Killarney, so we knew that they'd be on a high, and we were obviously in quite a low. So we, there was only one team could raise their game for today, and that was us. We had to raise our game to a very high level. It was hard for them to remain uh, in the form they were in last week in Killarney, and probably didn't expect as much from us, considering if they'd watched the match against us in Monaghan. So yeah, we had to be more defensive because we leaked too much against Monaghan, and particularly in the second. I think that there was a swing of maybe what was it? Somebody said like something like one nine to two points or something. They beat us after twenty five minutes. Well, we couldn't concede that kind of scoreline again and expect to win a game. So we had to try and do something about defending better, defending collectively, and and, and keeping them to as low a score as possible. I heard comments during the week from pundits that this group of players isn't as good as you've had in the past. Do you think we're going to see throughout the year, if that's true or false, or would you disagree with that here and now? I think it's very premature for to be saying what was said last week, and it's equally premature for me to say that, that all is well. Uh, we're, we're very much in between those two uh, ends of the spectrum. So time alone will tell who is more accurate in the long term than, you know, than the other. So I, I'll, I'll hold judgment on that until we play some more games. I think people making judgments about somebody on one game is fickle in the extreme, but I do expect that from certain quarters. Matty Donnelly did well in a more forward role today. He did. Matty Donnelly's a versatile player. He can play forward, he can play back. He can play around the middle, he's a strong player, a strong runner and he's a very useful player to have on any team. That was Mickey Hart preceded by Keith Higgins. This is The Rewind on News Talk. Well, Kerry picked up win number one of the season with a 117-13 to points victory over Derry at Celtic Park. Mark Lynch was sent off for the host while Paul Ganey got a goal in the 11th minute which really provided a platform for the Kingdom. He went on to score another five points after that. After the game, Eamon Fitzmaurice, the Kerry manager, spoke to Radio Kerry's Gary O'Sullivan. Uh, and uh, Derry manager Brian McIver also spoke to Gary. We'll hear from him first. Yeah, disappointing, surely. Um, I thought well in the game there, the stage of the sending off, but you know, at the end of the day, Kerry kicked some tremendous scores and uh, deserved their victory. Like, Did you actually clarify what, what was the sending off? We couldn't quite see where we were. He gave it for, a, for a, a high tackle with the elbow, which wasn't a lot different from an earlier tackle that he said was a shoulder tackle from a Kerry point of view. Like, but. Yeah. Hey, listen, they made the decision, that's it. Would you say you were more defensive in the first half? Did you play too much respect to Kerry? That I don't know. Uh, we, 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 even in the second half, like with a fair bit of possession, we, we just lacked a cutting edge up front, you know. Uh, whereas they were missing nothing, like their, their, some of their score taking was tremendous. But they all said of it, like they, they were getting frees which we weren't getting, which uh, I particularly in the first half, like would allow Kerry to get a two or three point cushion at half time, which I thought on the general play they shouldn't have had. Yeah, and Owen Bradley did cause him problems when he came in. Would you thought of maybe starting him with the performance he gave? Well, he did very well. The, the, the problem with Owen is, you know, having him available to us for, for the 70 minutes because of his soccer commitments, you know. Yeah. We played UCC in a challenge game Tuesday night, which gave us a chance to get another game under our belt and get our forward play in particular going a bit better. We had a good training session Thursday night and uh, the lads came with a very professional attitude and fairness to them today so I was delighted with them it's great to get two points on the board in February and uh, to be looking forward to Dublin now in three weeks time Much better ball given into the forward line today Eamon than, than the Mayo game was that one of the things that he did address? It was we worked on a lot of that kind of stuff and in fairness last weekend you know we were probably all expecting a lot from the lads we had only we'd less than three weeks training done for that game and we were playing a, a seasoned Mayo team that had the bones of three months training done so there was a good difference there and you could see that but today, no, I thought the lads um, all contributed and, uh, like I said, great to, great to get two points on the board. You would a better view of that sending off from where you are. We, we, we thought it was fairly harsh in the commentary box. Can you clarify what happened? Yeah, it, it looked harsh, but I suppose the only thing was that... Um, 
Joe McQuillan was right beside it. He, he, you know, he seemed to have a very good view of it from the angle I was looking at. It looked harsh. All right, yeah. More game time for Tommy Welsh, and that's the protocol at the moment, is it? Absolutely. Tommy got game time. He got whatever 40, 45 minutes under the belt today, and you know, I'm saying it all along. Everyone's going to have to be patient. Uh, us. Um, you know the Kerry public and Tommy himself will have to be patient that um, you know it, it will it will come and it will work out but we just have to take it one step at a time and I suppose hard to individualise anyone up front but I mean Brian Sheen was on farm today and I think Paul Ganey won five from play yeah, no, they did, they did. I was happy with the forward unit in general. They uh, functioned a good bit better than we did last weekend. And like I said, after a good week's training, it was satisfying to see that. Well, 2-6 from Colm O'Neill saw Cork go top and make it a 2 out of 2 as they beat Monaghan 2-14 to 116. In Division 2, Galway are top following a dramatic 2-13 to 2-12 win over Westmead and Mullingar. John Heaslin hitting the woodwork with a last-minute free for the hosts. This is the Rewind on News Talk and on Saturday Ballyhale Shamrocks reached the AIB All-Ireland Club Hurling Final with a convincing 217 to 115 win over Galway side Gort in Tullamore. After the game I spoke to Gort selector and club secretary Mike Finn but first man of the match and scorer of five points Henry Shefflin. Ah, it feels brilliant obviously because uh, you know once you win the Leicester fa- final it's, it's a couple of months to go then until you you know whether you want to get back there because you're playing match after match in the Leinster campaign and next thing give a break of six, seven weeks so um, you don't know what way you want to react what way the team is going to be because you're, you're playing challenge match but challenge match was totally different to the intensity we saw there today so uh, absolutely thrilled to, to get over the line because you dream of, of going to Pro Park on St Patrick's Day and uh, it's brilliant to be there now It was tight at half time I think there was only four points in it what was said at the break by your management? I think we just we, we just felt that we were going well. We were starting to come into it. Uh, we were starting to break a bit more ball the half forward line. We said we needed to probably stop them winning ball in our half back line. And uh, I think the lads did that to great effect in the second half. And I think we said we you know take a few points. We were probably trying to force the goal maybe a small bit in the first half. And I think that's what we did in the second half. You know, and I think the backs were absolutely magnificent. And uh, I think as a team we just got more into the game uh, as the game went on. You used the ball very well, you worked it and passed it and there was great interchange and it was quick interchange. Did you learn that from the Kilcormick-Kalahi game and you were able to open up opportunities by, by moving the ball so quick? Yeah, maybe so, but I think uh, you know a lot of people didn't give Kilcormick the, probably the credit they deserved and I think Gort today, the same thing again, very fair, played the game very tough and hard. But I think um, the conditions were a bit better. It wasn't as cold. The ball is moving a little bit faster than it was yeah. in the 7th of December. And I know it's only the 7th of February, but just the conditions are a little bit better now. And uh, I think we just, we just probably, you know, hurling-wise, we were sharp. Players were sharp. We'd done, done good training in the lead-up to the match. So I think uh, players were sharp and they were looking forward. And I think as the game went on, players started to come more and more into the game. And it's Kilmallock in the final on St. Patrick's Day. You'll know a lot of their players. Yeah, I suppose, you know, I just heard the result out there, so um, they've had a brilliant year as well, just like ourselves, so there's only two teams standing out of all the teams, so I think for both of us today, it's about, you know, celebrating this great victory we've had, and, you know, it's a long break, that's the only thing, like, I think it's another five and a half weeks, which is a a bit um, uh, crazy, to be honest, in in, in the sense that uh, we're playing the 7th of February, and this final is not until the 17th of March, so, but uh, look, we'll go back and we'll, we'll take a break, I'm sure, and get training again, just like themselves, and both teams will be looking forward to experience and we've lads there that haven't you know we've younger lads on the panel that have never been in Crow Park before so I think for the club and for the parish it's a it's a brilliant occasion one you look forward to and obviously then the lead up to it, it, it you only look forward to it if you're going to win it of course but for the moment it, it's great to be there. Is it hard for you to keep your concentration when everyone keeps asking you the question which I'm not going to ask you? No no to be honest because I, I think it was uh, well handled before Christmas that players said that um, 
you know, I would decide after the club campaign. I'm absolutely thrilled, just like the Leinster final, that I have another five and a half weeks of making my, doing my own thing, concentrating on the club, getting myself ready for an Ireland final, and then you know I'll be able to go off into the sunset and 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 decide whether I'm going to stay or not. And uh, that's a brilliant feeling to have. And I'm really looking forward to to going to Crow Park now. Mike Finn, Gort selector and club secretary. In the last 20 minutes of the second half, it just didn't quite happen for you, but it was competitive up until, we'll say, minute 40. Yeah, yeah. Just so we were happy enough the way we started. Uh, happy enough to us is where we started the second half as well. Just midway through the second half, when we were kind of forced to chase the game a bit, they, they were able to create a bit of space up front, and they, they punished us badly. There were a couple of a couple of handy scores really that we'd be we'd be disappointed we gave away, you know. But like overall, it was fairly even. You know, just just they, they got that second goal. You know, just crawled over the line, but it was a goal now. In fairness, and you know, they kind of held that gap right through the first half, right through the first ten minutes. And then they were able to build on it there towards the end when we started pushing up the field trying to chase the lead, you know. Is the frustrating thing that you actually did have the chances? Nine wides overall, uh, three of them in the second half and the bulk of them from scoreable chances. Yeah, like we had a lot of wides and I think a lot of that was down to like the, the tackling was, was fairly ferocious. Like it, it would definitely be a step up from what we'd be used to, you know. And uh, another thing I'd be very conscious of, and again, it's not a criticism of the referee, no, I'd be very conscious not to criticise anyone, but you know, I, I thought the referees game very fairly, but compared to the way games are refereed in Galway now, there was a ma- major difference. Like, he let an awful lot go, which is fine, I've no issue with that at all, but I think back home, we as a county might need to just reassess that and, and look at how we referee our games within our own county, because if, that, if that's the way it's refereed outside, we need to be doing the same inside. I appreciate I'm asking you on a wider topic immediately after a very disappointing loss, but do you think that could be a reason for some of Galway's inconsistencies as a county over the last number of years. Oh, I wouldn't be qualified to <laughs> talk about the inter-county scene at all. It's an interesting point you raised. Like that's, uh, it was a point that struck me there to, uh, half of the second half. You know, I, you know, I, I have no issue with Johnny Ryan. I think he's a fine ref. Yeah. You know, and and, I, and like, I think we all want to see the game played that way and, 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 and ran that way. But uh, I just may, maybe not at home we don't be as quick to let it go as much. You know. This is the Rewind on News Talk. That was Gort Selector Mike Finn and before him Henry Shefflin. Interesting comments from Finn. Hurling maybe is refereed slightly differently in Galway. But Kilmallock await in the final for Shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day. They beat Portaferry of Down 219 to 12 points. After the match, Kilmallock manager Jareth the Sparrow O'Loughlin spoke to Live 95 FM Limerick's Liam Hearn. I was fierce nervous coming up today, I know, I have to say, because uh, this was the one that, you know, if you weren't tuned in, you get caught and we were far from being the finished article I have to say that now today um, we just got on top of Portaferry and uh, we probably showed it we showed our, our levels at time but we would need to improve an awful lot like to uh, to get over the next step but thankfully we're there to, to be able to deal with that like you know but we uh, we plenty of room for improvement but I, I, I must say like that they, what we what we wanted today was a victory at all costs and uh, but we, we need to we need to sharpen up as well You said to us yesterday you wanted a, a good start a goal and a point inside two minutes I'm sure you'd have taken that Yeah I would yeah and uh, I suppose I would have taken uh, gone in five points up as well like you know but we, we, we had some very poor wides as well in that like so we have to just work on that but it, because the lads know like that uh, you might never get a chance like this again so we, uh, we're really looking forward now to the next four or five weeks of good hard training couple of good matches and uh, you know the one thing about this group is they know that that wouldn't be good enough today and they know where they need to get to and on the 17th of March 
I'll guarantee you one thing, they'll give it everything. Starting out last January, someone said you'll be in Crow Park on Paddy's Day. I don't know, did they believe it? But, um, you know, the, the thing is, we are there and we just have to we just have to make sure that we're not going to be found lacking spirit or commitment in that. And if we do that, which I know we will, um, it'll, be, it'll be a real tight affair, but um, hopefully we'll be on the right side of it. They're one of the greatest clubs of all time you're coming up against. Absolutely, yeah. Sure, that's the... <laughs> You let me sleep tonight, will you? Oh, don't be telling me things like that. <laughs> Jero Lachlan, the manager of Kilmanock. This is the Rewind on News Talk. Soon enough, we'll get to racing and the retirement of AP McCoy. But first, uh, more hurling. And next weekend, the Alliance League 2015 gets underway. Ex-Tipperary forward John O'Brien joins us. Um, let's assess all the teams ahead of the start of the league. But first, John, you haven't really spoke much since um, you retired before Christmas. How is retirement suiting you? Uh, I think this time of the year, you don't miss too much about it. And, uh, you know, with the weather, especially the way it's been, um, I know lads that laugh. I haven't done too many pre-seasons the last few years either. So, But, uh, no, it's funny. I asked a few friends who retired um, in the last few years from TIP and from different counties. And they said to me, after a few months, you'll nearly say to yourself, how did I do it for so long? So, at the moment, not missing it one bit. But I'm sure I might miss it come championship. But uh, the one thing you would miss is a bit of crack with the players. Um, there was a physio room just off the dressing room and it was more like a comedy club. So we used to go in there before training and uh, there was only about two guys getting physio and about eight or nine guys in there. So, you know, you get a great laugh. You nearly have a six-pack coming out of it with all the laughing you'd be doing for the, for, the, for the hour before training. So, yeah, I'd miss that. But uh, as I said, the hurling end of it at the moment, no, not at the moment. What went into your decision and what was the final pushing point for you? Yeah, I suppose wouldn't be the best man to sit on the bench I guess and uh, even though I got a good bit of practice at um, so I think yeah not getting the game time probably and putting in the commitment that you have to put in um, yeah it's it's head wrecking really at times so yeah it was it was it was nice to be involved last year and get to an all-around final but when you don't have the input that you'd like to have um, it's harder but in saying that look the team were an inch away from winning an all-around so it's not as if I deserve to be playing but you'd hope to get more game time so when you're not getting that it's harder did that make your mind up for you or did you think last year that was it anyway, either way? Yeah, I probably said to myself that was it either way but um, I guess if I was playing more and probably had more of an input I might have thought about it a bit more but it was easy, an easy decision at the end of the year to be honest. Yeah, I, I guess a lot of players say when they retire their brain never gets older, it's the body that mm. gets older. So were you saying to yourself I should be playing and God, I could make a difference especially in that replay when you needed someone like you to win a bit of ball? Yeah, well, of course, look, you'd always back yourself, you know, when a lot of people probably wouldn't, you have to back yourself. And uh, I would have felt that I could have made a difference. But that's every player on the bench that day would have felt that. So, uh, look, if you don't have that belief in yourself, you've no point in being there in the first place. So, yeah, I would have felt I could have done something. But at the same time, you know, there was other guys there who would have felt the same. Did you have a long talk with Damon and Michael before you left? I didn't know, to be honest. I didn't. It was as quick as... Uh, um, I won't be making myself available and that was it, more or less. Yeah. Um, is it strange because there's a, a big clutch of you after retiring? I mean, Brendan Cummins went uh, last year, this year, JJ, Brian, yeah. Tommy, all gone, Aidan Fogarty as well, and David Herity, all gone from Kilkenny. So there's a lot of guys gone at the one time. Keith yeah. Rossiter as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the way the game is going, management are under pressure. Um, and the game has changed as well. Management are under pressure to probably play younger players. And the game has changed as well. So it's, it's, it's gone a lot faster. Um, you do need a lot more pace. And I guess, you know, the younger guys coming through are, are able to train a bit harder maybe and keep their bodies better and recover better. 
I suppose the older you get, you probably need that bit of extra time to recover the body. So, you know, maybe the younger guys are, are getting a, a step ahead of you. Mm. Let's talk about the league season. It starts next week. Tipperary uh, up against Dublin in Parnell Park. I guess it's hard for you to answer this as a pundit, which you are now, but where do you think Tipper at? Um, I think Tipper in a good place. Um, they have a few injuries and this time of the year with Fitzgibbon, you're kinda, it's, it's very hard to uh, get a full panel together. So at the moment, I presume they're going maybe one night a week and they're training themselves then during the week, the gym work and doing a bit of running. So they're meeting up for matches the weekends. So for the moment, um, it's hard to get a good group together and, and be ready for the, for the league. So you'll see a few new faces probably during the league that'll be enforced. Um, but in saying that, I think the management would be happy to do that. Different managers are at different stages this time of the year. And I think uh, Tipperary are probably fairly happy um, with the group of players they had last year. And on top of that, they have Mikey Cahill to come back onto a starting team. I think you're going to have Conor Mahoney coming back in to start um, championship. I think he will anyway. Um, and Niall O'Mara is a great player. Uh, he missed out last year through injury after the Limerick game. I think he has a huge amount to offer. So there's more than that even that are going to be pushing for places. Ronan Maher was very good um, in training last year. He didn't get much of an opportunity last year to show that. But I think he's going to have a big impact as well this year. So I think that's three or four guys to come onto a team. And that's not going to automatically happen. But they're going to make a massive difference in training. And uh, that's four, three, four, five more options. Is that a big deal for Eamon O'Shea, the manager, and of course the players as well? The fact that you in Tipperary seem to have more options this year, while in Kilkenny they seem to have less because people will argue that Kilkenny will always be Kilkenny and they have a great squad, and they do. But the fact of the matter is, Brian Hogan and JJ Delaney were great options in defence. And JJ last year probably had the year of his life. He certainly had one of the games of his life, both of them, in the All-Ireland Finals. Yeah, very true. Look, I think if Tipperary had lost the calibre players that uh, that that Kilkenny have lost, you know, it would be a bigger difference. But you know, Kilkenny have lost a group together that are in their thirties. But you could say out of that, JJ was probably the only guy going to start. Hmm. But the psychological, you could say, safety blanket of having those guys in a squad—Brian Hogan, Taggy, Tommy—having them around the place makes a huge difference to actually players who are playing. And when they're on the field, they get confidence knowing that they're there especially in training, around the dressing rooms. So it makes a big difference psychologically to the players. So it'll be very interesting to see how they cope with that mm. when they're not there. And you'll see during the league with Kilkenny this year as well, I think you're losing out on the Bally Hale guys for a while. And you throw Henry into the mix and Henry Shefflin into the mix. And if he's not coming back, that's another huge presence gone out of the dressing room. So psychologically, I think it could affect Kilkenny. But in saying that, every year they always produce two or three new players. So there's no reason why they can't do that again. And we're talking about the hole at fullback. They could easily put Joey Holden or one or two other candidates back there. And it's almost like JJ yeah. didn't go. It's, it's that kind of strange. But um, if you're a forward from another county and you're facing a Kilkenny side without JJ, do you have that psychological boost knowing he's not there? Yeah, well, I think so. I think, look, he brings that bit of steel to the, to the team. Um, he's massive character. Like a lot of players who are as good as JJ. You know, he played wing-back and got player of the year one year. Um, he could have been playing wing-back for a number of years and got player of the year again. But he sacrificed his game to go back full-back. Not a lot of players want to play full-back. Mm. And he was willing to go back there, sacrifice his game, not get the plaudits for coming out with ball all day. But like he, he did his job. And, uh, you know, to lose a character like that that's willing to do everything for the team, you know, they're, they're, they're hard to find, especially for full-backs. I know a lot of friends that don't want to play full-back. 
Yeah, some of us want to go full back, uh, yeah, John, yeah, but okay, some yeah. of us are there for two minutes and taken out in a junior nine game. It's, it's quite well, degrading, I can assure you of that. Um, in 2010, you famously bounced back to Prairie uh, from losing in All-Ireland the year before. Is there a lot of similarities between that tip squad and this tip squad? Yeah, I think so. Um, the group is, is is only maturing, I think. You know, you have a lot of players who were involved in 2010 and 2009, like, so like Potty Maher, Brendan Maher, Noel McGrath, these guys... You know they're they're still only coming to their peak. You know they haven't reached their peak yet. You know, and uh, I think people forget that they're still fairly young. Um, so they, I I don't think they've they've a lot to prove, but I know that they're going to they're going to improve. And I think this year they'll be looking forward to it even more so than last year because I think there probably was a good bit of pressure on last year. I think Tipperary took maybe unwarranted criticism. I think last year. Um, now look, when you lose games, you're going to take criticism. When we lost Limerick, you're you're going to take that criticism, but. I think they bounced back very well, but I think this year they're going to go into the championship with much more confidence, um, more of a swagger maybe, because last year you probably were hoping to win games rather than knowing you're going to win them. I think this year that belief is back, mm. and you'd hope that they'd push on and uh, find that two or three maybe new players that can add to the 20. And to do that, I think the strength and depth is there to push on. You might have been a little bit removed from that criticism because you were obviously living in Dublin. Mm. But how tough was it for the lads? Because I remember speaking to guys after games in the league <clears> and particularly that first game against Limerick and they said, look, you know, we are taking flack but we are working incredibly hard. And Eamon O'Shea was quite emotional at times in interviews saying, look, you don't know these lads like I know these lads. They're working hard and they will come good. And they did. And, you know, lost an All-Ireland final by quite literally inches. Yeah, look, I know I'm removed from a bit of living up here in Dublin but... You know, I, you have to laugh at it, to be honest, because um, everyone's going to have an opinion. And when you lose games, people are going to have an opinion. But the criticism was pretty poor. And uh, over the last number of years, I think that team has taken a lot of criticism. Was it the manner of it? Yeah, I think, I think, I think when people are putting in the effort that they're putting in and the commitment they put in. And I, th- I suppose people from the outside probably don't see it. And when you're in there looking at the guys sacrificing what they're sacrificing, the effort they put in, and then to take that abuse, it's not... It's, it's not you're not happy to take it. But at the same time, it's part and parcel for, of it, all right, um, unfortunately. Um, especially with Twitter now. Uh, yeah. You know, guys are, are able to get at you straight away. But look, that's part and parcel of it. But I suppose going back to this team from 08, 9, 10 and up to now, it's been taking a lot of flack. Mm. But, you know, I think unwarranted. Like, if we won the All-Ireland in 2010. Uh, 2011, we came back, won a Monster Championship, won it again in 2012. You know, so those, to win two Monster Championships back-to-back after that was good. But again, it was talk. I remember Gerard Mann mentioning, you know, not to follow the template of Tipperary after an All Ireland final in 2010. You know, and I think I don't think Clare suffered the same as we did when they won the All Ireland and they didn't win a championship game last year. So I don't think they got the same abuse as Tipperary were taking. But look, that's part and parcel of it. As someone who works a lot in Tipperary, as I do, but I'm from the outside, I kind of think the Tip fans are harder on their hurlers than any other county out there. Do you, do you is yeah, that a fair yeah, comment? I, you could be you could be right, but I think the the, the reason for that is when success uh, when you have success, the bar set high, so it's very hard to yeah. lower that bar. So you know you we do accept the criticism when we get it, you know, but it does drive you on. But at the same time, when it's unwarranted, you, you don't want to take it. Yeah. But in saying that, when you do lose to Limerick two years in a row in in Simple Stadium last year, you know you're going to deserve a bit of criticism. Yeah. But when it goes over the top, that's when that's when it. Yeah, get you riled a bit, but most of the time you can take the criticism and move on. Is that the hardest part of being a hurler in, in the modern age? The fact that the criticism can now be so direct with Twitter? 
Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. To be honest with you, I don't. I don't. It doesn't affect me as much as maybe some other guys. Um, I think most of the guys in there in that group, I don't think it'll affect many of them. To be honest, um, it does help a squad at times as well. You know, it does galvanise a squad. Um, but it, you're probably right. I know I've read about a few players over the last number of years who have retired and have complained about some of the abuse to take on Twitter but you know I'm, I'm hidden on Twitter anyway I don't uh, <laughs> I don't have my name branded out so I probably yeah. would have got a lot more abuse if I if I had put it out there for it Well if you want to out your Twitter profile here and now go for it you are listening to the Rewind podcast we've got uh, ex-Tipperary hurler John O'Brien with us John we've kind of got a little bit off topic I mean we're, we're talking about abuse and dealing with uh, criticism and all that let's talk about hurling tip against Dublin Dublin under new management mm. in the shape of Jer Cunningham it seems to have started well for them Um Few changes. Michael Carton got to fullback. He told me himself last week he's never played there, club or yeah. county. And Liam Rush back in the forwards. Yeah, Liam Rush back in the forwards. Um, you know, I guess with Jerry Cunningham going in, I think he'd be looking for a bit more strength and depth. Um, I'd say he'd be happy if he could find a player for each line. Now that's not easy to do. Um, you know, he's pushing Liam Rush up full forward, and I think it's a good idea. Um, they need another guy up there that's actually you can rely on to get. Three, four scores every game, and I think with him up there, he'll he'll cause a good bit of trouble. Um, I saw him play against DIT actually in the Watch Cup. You know, I think he scored one three that day, and he missed two or three goals. He's just a bit rusty, so I think that he'll he'll make a difference there. But unfortunately, in doing that, you're kind of robbing Peter to play Paul. Yeah. You, know, you take him out of the backline. I don't know if they can afford at the moment to take him out of the backline unless they find someone new during this league, because he is such a good player. And when you take him out, out of, you can take him out of centre back, no problem. I think yeah. Peter Kelly can fit in there; he's very good. But I'm not sure if it if it'll strengthen the back line by taking him out of there. Unfortunately, you need two of him at the moment. But um, you know, in saying that, I saw a guy that day, Eamon Dillon, was playing wing, uh, centre forward, and I think he scored one five or six. Now he looked very lively. Um, so I think he'll get a good prolonged run in the league, and if he's able to be an added addition and have a bit of pace in that forward line, I think it'll make a huge difference. What about Cork? Hard to know where they're at. Uh, good in 2013, poor in 2014. The dual players have committed either way. So mm. you've got Owen Cadigan playing football yeah. and he's just playing football. Aidan Walsh and Damien Cahillan, they're just playing hurling. Was that as big an issue as we thought last year or is it just something we're, we're hanging Cork's poor form on? Yeah, I don't think it was a big an issue. Um, you know, it is hard to do and I think you, that's, it's shown this year that it's hard to do. You see Owen Cadigan has committed fully to the football because he knows I think that he's going to be he's going to be a starter on the football. Um, so it is hard. I think with Aidan Walsh, um, I know he, he he didn't have his best game against Tipperary, and people put that down to to too much. And I think I think himself probably in his own mind it, it probably was to do with the with the football. But at the same time, who knows? He was playing he was playing very well up to that. Yeah. You know. So I think when you have a bad game, people are looking for excuses. But um, at the same time, I think he's a, he's a great player, and having him concentrate fully on hurling. I think it would make a big difference to his hurling, um, more so than his fitness. So I think Cork, they know their panel. I think they know their, their probably, they know their 20 players for a championship. I think Jimmy Brown Murphy's in a, in a strong position. I think that he'll give those players that played against Tipperary last year, I think he'll give most of them. I think he'll have the majority of them play against Kilkenny again. And they'll target Kilkenny in that first game. And I think they, they'll beat Kilkenny down there, Kilkenny with the retirements and with the few players missing uh, with Ballyhale. I think... Cork are very hard to beat down there and they will use that game to get the to get the show on the road again I think the majority of players will play in that they played last year Speaking of dual players what about Clare? They've lost um, Podge Collins Yeah, a good player yeah, it's it's very interesting um, story down there um, 
you know, I suppose it's very hard for Podge Collins with his father involved in football. Um, it was going to be a hard decision to make and by all accounts, I'm not sure that they were, they were forced into a decision. So, um, yeah, he's a big loss to him. But in saying that, after last year, I think Clare's poor performance, they're going to be so riled up again for this year. I know they're back training a good while now and uh, they have something to prove. Um, and I think that they'll show that in their first few games as well. I think they'll start to the league very strong. Limerick, Waterford and Wexford, all in Division 1B. Limerick and uh, Wexford had strong championships last year. Waterford, not so much. Mm. Yeah, I think it, uh, for Derek McGrath, he's, he looks to be starting a new squad uh, players, trying to build. And I think he's probably going down the right road. I know Waterford had a few retirements this year, a few mm. few leaders are gone. Um, but I think he's going to build. I think he needs time down there. Um, I think you know Washington, you know Waterford very well. I think they've had a good few teams at minor and 21 over the last few years. And I think the difference with 10 years ago to now is that players are making the step up at 18 and 19, whereas 10 years ago it was harder. Like they were going for bigger men back then. Hurling style has changed. Is that because players now have that physicality at 18, 19 because they're in the gym from quite a young age yeah, and they're often going then to, to third level colleges where they're practically full-time hurlers? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it's part of it. It's a culture change here. I think every, every young lad is, is in the gym. And, uh, but in, in saying that, I think the style has changed as well. They're not looking for as big a players. You know, you look at a lot of centre forwards now. Back 10 years ago, a centre forward was a, was a monster of a man who was, <laughs> who was breaking hurlies all day. But now it's changed and uh, you, know, you, see, you see the skill and pace are as important, if not more important now than strength. And that's, that's why I think Waterford could surprise a few people. But in saying that, it's going to be difficult. They, they, need to, they need to find a few players. But I think in the next two or three years, I think Waterford will, will be pushing strong for, for monster titles. Limerick came so close last year against Kilkenny. What did they need to do to just get that extra bit? Mm. Because they've been there or thereabouts, but maybe they're lacking that little bit of firepower or, or lacking just that little bit of something. Yeah, I think for TJ Ryan, it's a similar situation, I think, to Jimmy Barry Murphy. I think he has, but he, probably in a better situation as regards, I think he knows, definitely knows his 22 best mm-hmm. players, 23 best players. And you won't see many changes again from last year from Limerick's panel, I think. And I think they'll, they'll push on again this year. We've played them the last two years. They've beaten us. They're a very united group. I think that's a massive thing. Um, they've got great spirit there. That's hard to build in a squad. And when that's there, it's, it, it makes a difference. It's a three, four-point difference at the end of a game. So they would have been very disappointed last year. And I think that they're going to have, you know, they'll have a bit of swagger as well, I think, going into the championship this year. And uh, I think this put to bed now um, all this talk of, you know, that Limerick were underdogs again against Tipperary after beating them last year. So I think they've they've got a bit of confidence now again. And I think, you know, that Tomas O'Brien looks to be a good player. He's after coming in. And I think he's going to make a, a difference this year to him as well in the forward line. Wexford, without Keith Rossiter for the first time since about 2003, I think. But mm. they made real strides last year and they were unlucky that when they met Limerick, they looked absolutely knackered. They were flat as pancakes. But maybe we should look at the game against Clare or the games against Clare as kind of the, the, the yardstick as to where they are. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, they achieved a lot last year. Um, I won't say overachieved, but they, they, they achieved a lot. I think they're going, they're going in the right direction. I think they're going to find it hard. Um, I know Conor McDonald, I think, broke his ankle. I'm not sure how long he'll be out for. So For the foreseeable, anyway. Yeah, so he's a huge loss to the start of the league. And uh, you'd hope that you'd like to see Wexford start well and get a few wins and, and progress. But it's, it's, it's going to be hard. They're a young team, um, but they're definitely going the right direction. I think you know that, that same uh, group of players that were there last year, they'll be more or less the same group, I think, that will start this year. And uh, Because they are very young. And without Keith Rossiter, you're losing a lot of uh, experience there as well. And it's surprising, I suppose, when... They're on the up, 
well, you know, he's put in a, a, a huge shift there over the last number of years. Your neighbours in Offaly? Yeah, Offaly, you know, it's 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 a tough one. Uh, Offaly at the moment, you know, it's not looking good for him at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, we've played Offaly over the years, uh, the last number of years, and we've always had it tough against them for 50, 60 minutes. You Even know, last year in the qualifiers, year, they made yeah. it quite difficult for quite exactly, a long time. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're a hard bunch to play against. Um, they all, you always know you're after playing Offaly, you come off the field, you're going to have a few cuts and bruises on, after the game. You know, they're very hard, tough, committed. Um, they're probably lacking that bit of firepower as well. Um, they need a few players, but look, it's it's tough. You know, I know the finances probably down there aren't, aren't as big as other counties. Um, so they find it hard uh, when when those finances aren't there to push you on. It, it makes it, it makes it more difficult. It would be great to see Leash continue their upward curve, wouldn't it? Zane Keenan is back as well. He's a touch of class. He is a touch of class, yeah. And I think again, what Cheddar Plunkett has done down there is great. Um, you know, he's got younger guys back out playing it. From what I believe, I know a friend of mine lives down there, and you know they've they've. Uh, it's again with success breeds success. So you know when you when you get a bit of success, guys want to be involved. And I know over the last number of years, you know when they weren't going that well, a lot of guys weren't willing to to commit. So you know when they get back up there, they get the the few wins, you know, and getting a bit of praise in the papers and that in the media, it makes a difference to guys wanting to be involved and and for younger guys wanting to come in. So I think I think they again they're going to find it tough again this year um, from what they did last year. So if they, if they can replicate a few results like last year, I think. Uh, It'll be a good year for him. Yeah, they've got 21s and minors coming through as well. Last, um, but by no means least, I can't believe I just used that cliche, but anyway, Galway. I suppose Galway. We played Galway a lot over the years as well. Yeah. You know, We were very lucky in 2010. We only pipped them by a point in the last few seconds. You know, we People say we could, we probably robbed them that day. Mm. Um, so they were very close to getting to an All-Ireland semi-final, All-Ireland final that year as well. You know, I think some of the, some of the criticism they take is overboard as well, you know. I think Galway is is a is a place where they do take a lot of criticism. But again, it's 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 expectations, you know. To have a good squad of players, um, Anthony Cunningham got a, has a great squad of young players there as well. Um, probably from the team that played in the All Ireland uh, and, and took Kilkenny to a replay, a lot of those guys were were weren't used maybe in the last year or so, and I, I was surprised. Um, so a lot of younger guys were put in. And I think maybe the mix wasn't right. So I think this year, you know, those younger guys who played have a bit more experience and uh, I think that'll make a difference you know and when you have a guy like Johnny Glynn you know who could be on the edge of the square you know he's a, he's a man mountain like and if if he's if he's on form he can cause huge problems and you know Joe Canny I know is going to be missing for a while but that mightn't be any harm uh, for other guys to maybe step up to the plate uh, for a few games you know Conor Cooney has been has been uh, putting over huge scores in the last number of leagues so I think it's for some of the other guys to maybe put a bit of pressure on themselves during the league while Joe is out and uh, and see how they get on. And a charge against Galway over the last number of years, right back to when Gerlock Nam was in charge, is that their spine wasn't settled. Mm. David Collins is at six and Fergal Moore is at three for the bulk of their pre-season games, including the match in Crow Park, the Walsh Cup final. Is that a sign that there there are players not coming through and guys not stepping up to those positions? Or is it a sign that, you know, these are experienced hurlers and why wouldn't you put that that kind of experience in those pivotal positions? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. Yeah, I think I think Fergal Moore is a tough player. He's always been a great cornerback. I think putting him in full back and leaving him there might be might be might be the option. Um, I haven't seen much of the Galway Twenty Ones in the last few years, so I'm not sure what's coming through. But um, with David Collins and Fergal Moore, I think full back is a bit of specialised position. So I think you need a bit of time there. 
And if they're able to leave those two guys there and see how they get on, even if there's one or two blips during the league, you know, give them the confidence that you're going to stick with them because it's not an easy position to play and you, you do need to have them nailed down. Um, for the confidence within the group as well, I think, you know, it makes a difference. You know, when, when, when you're chopping and changing a full-back and centre-back, does create a bit of uh, uneasiness in the back line. And, you know, I know there's no goalie that likes to see three or four different full-backs in front of him during the league. You know, he likes to know who's in front of him and, and uh, create an understanding there as well. So I think I'd be, I'd be leaving him there to see how to get on um, unless there's someone really doing it in training. You know, that's, that's, that should be your, your three and six. And just before I let you go, Division 1A is so competitive. You kind of have to start well, which means peaking early. Good thing or bad thing, in your opinion? Yeah, um, it can be a mixture of both, to be honest. Uh, I know with us last year, I think we probably felt under pressure um, going into those games, the first 30 games. Like, you can't afford to really lose. And I know, you know, if if you lose one, you're under pressure straight away. Mm. You know, if you win one, pressure's off, but you can easily get that pressure back on when you lose the next one. So, the, I think it works both ways. Kilkenny had a bad start a few times and they ended up winning the league. So, they lost two, two of the first games. So, it can happen. And especially this time of the year, it's very hard, as I said, with Fitzgibbon, with injuries. You know, there's a good, good few guys missing. Um, so it's hard to get the, the bunch that you want playing on the field. But, yeah, I think you lose your first one, you're in, you're in a small bit of difficulty. So most of the managers will want to win their first game at least. It does take the pressure off. John O'Brien, ex-tip hurler, thank you very much. No worries, Oshin, thanks for that. This is the Rewind on News Talk Racing Now. And this weekend, Tony McCoy announced his retirement. We'll hear from the man himself shortly. But first, Ivan Yates joins us. Um, Ivan... Tell us exactly what makes Tony McCoy so great and why is, is he so great? Yes, uh, devastating news uh, at Newbury after he rode his 200th winner on Mr Mole. He, out of a clear blue sky, on his own terms, announced, despite being at the peak of his profession, that he was going to quit at the end of the season. Obviously, Leopardstown yesterday was full of emotion as he won two races and won the big race in Carlingford Lock. Uh, why is he special? Well, Statistically, he's the best jockey ever. He's ridden 4,315 winners and counting. Um, He's been consecutive champion jockey over jumps for 20 years. Now, when you bear in mind injuries and when you bear in mind some of the people who are behind him, from Ruby Walsh to Dickie Johnson and so on, that is an extraordinary commitment. And the great thing is that he's actually moved trainers. He he, he started with Jim Bulger uh, as a raw recruit. He went to Toby Balding as a conditional jockey, emigrated at a young age. And then his real claim to fame came when he linked up with Martin Pipe. And then, of course, he went on retainer with J.P. McManus, riding on both sides of the RC. I think what punters will remember about him was that he never gives up. In other words, it could be three fences out and he'd be pushing and driving and whacking and, you know, and there'd be looking to be no response. And then suddenly you find the thing that's going easier in front of him or beside him, suddenly he gets up and he wears them out. So some horses suit him especially and I don't think we'll ever see his like again. Injury never seemed to bother him and he seemed to recover better than anyone else. Well, he, he, he's broken every bone in his body and uh, I've lost time, the number of counts he's broken his collarbone. But obviously, speaking to him, he was really upset about the last injury in Worcester where he uh, bust some ribs, punctured his lung and he tried to ride three days again. He was going for 300 winners and I think he, he wanted to break that iconic barrier uh, and he will never do it now and I don't think anyone else will do it but I, I fear for the future in terms of will some of these arthritic conditions and so on come against him but he's certainly getting out at forty forty one at the very top. Will he go into 
training? I think not. I think not. I think that uh, he doesn't know what he wants to do. He said that he'd rather be a flat trainer than a jumps trainer, but then he's cautioned against it. He might be assistant trainer. That's what Peter Scudamore did, uh, a former top jockey. But then you see people like Richard Dunwoody, and they actually are slightly bereft. You know what I mean? That He tried climbing mountains and doing different charity work. He could get a job as a pundit. He could get a job as a racing manager. You know, in other words, looking after horses, buying and selling horses. But I think... Uh, uh, just the whole passion and drive of the man, uh, he will really miss the excitement and the adrenaline pump of being in the saddle. It's 24-7. You live horse racing, don't you? You're, you're never a little bit in horse racing when you're working full-time. It, it consumes you, and that's the danger. They always say with boxers, stay away from the gym after you retire, you'll be okay. Very hard to do that in racing. Yes, indeed. And uh, he, 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 But he was such a driven man. Um, I think what changed him was actually uh, Chanel, his wife, and he has two kids, Eve and um, Archie. And uh, along the way, there's been health issues and so on in the family and so on. And I think uh, that maturity has changed his perspective on life. There is more to life than riding horses. And I think that's starting to come into play now. Well, earlier on, you heard from the man himself on News Talk Breakfast, Ivan. Uh, let's hear what he told you. I said on Saturday when I announced it, when I was asked when I had first thought about it, I jokingly said five years ago, and, and in some ways I, I kind of, I kind of meant it because, you know, to try and win the jockey championship, you know, twenty times, five years ago was probably my ambition, and, and uh, the closer I got to thinking that that would happen, um, the more then I, you know, I probably thought that this was the time to go. The way it worked out was. You know, it was, it was fantastic. But, uh, you know, earlier on the season, I thought that I was going to ride 300 winners in the season. And unfortunately, I got injured. And um, it kind of went a bit pear-shaped. And um, I was thinking I could go out in the blaze of glory if you like having ridden 300 winners. But as it happened, that wasn't to be. But uh, I, I just thought that the closer I got to my 200, then I thought after the big festivals in, in Cheltenham and, and the entry that people might start speculating about it being my 20th championship and wondering what the future holds. And I didn't want there to be speculation. I wanted it to be on my terms. And I thought the time was right. Yeah, the disappointment for people, uh, uh, Tony, is that you've never been riding better. I mean, surely the target of 5,000 winners, which I saw your interview with RUK, you know, is is in touching distance for you. Could you reconsider? No, no, there's I I don't do I don't do whip arounds or changing my mind, you know, I'm you know I'm not something I'm proud of, but I'm a very stubborn selfish person, so um I'm not likely to change now. But look when you see the the reaction and the affection that was shown yesterday in Eppertown by the people, um, you know, that's days like that I'll never forget. Um, um if anything would make you change your mind, that certainly would but I've always been frightened of, of carrying on too long. I've always been frightened of people thinking that maybe I wasn't as good as I once was. I've, I've always wanted to have people asking me why I was retiring, not why I wasn't retiring. And, well, um, you know, I was there yesterday, 12 deep around the parade ring, and the emotion was, was really, really very strong. Just to clarify, I know Sandown is the end of the British season, and, and that's in late April. I do take it you'll be there for the close of the Irish season at Punchestown to give you a proper send-off. Yeah, look, Ivan, it's, it's one day at a time. You know, I honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I just want to try and enjoy what's left of 
my writing career and, and, and when that may happen. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. You know okay, I, the final date is not set. And so now I really enjoyed not. your autobiography, uh, your days uh, in the north, going to the local stable, Bulger, Martin Pipe, JP. Who, who, who would you say had the most influence? Dave Roberts and Chanel and all that. Who had the most influence on making you the best ever jockey? Um, do you know, my dad actually had obviously not not a lot to do with horses. He bred a few horses and that, but you know, I I think I even though he was a builder by trade, you know, I I I, I think I got a lot of my traits from my dad, and um, you know, so I think he had a lot to do with it, but. I think in life, Ivan, when you look for people and different people, I, I think you can learn something every day. And I think I was so blessed to work for so many brilliant people that I, I like to think that I picked up a little bit off each and every one of them. And uh, the way my, my career and my life went through those people that I, I worked for, I think I was blessed just the way it happened and the stages that I went through um, have definitely helped me, you know, make me... Um, the other thing that struck me from the book that, that non-racing people wouldn't know is Chanel must have really loved you because you gave her an awful time in the kind of on-off relationship. She did, she did. I, 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 you know, I don't think I was the sort of boyfriend or whatever you'd want your daughter to be turning up with. You know, I was very self-centred, very selfish. Um, you know, it was pretty much, I was very into my career and my career was the most important thing in my life but um, luckily luckily for me that she stuck around and we have two great kids now and um, um, she's probably helped make me what I am really so um, I'm very lucky to have met a very special girl that's for sure Now your best ever ride for me it was March 09 Wichita Lineman Nearly two miles out was was a dead duck, and you just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. To you, would it be don't push it? Because that did lead in two thousand and ten to the BBC Sports Personality Award, and it's very hard to pick out one out of four thousand three hundred. What would you rate as your best ride? Um, look, there was a lot of special days and a lot of very very good horses that was looking up to ride. You know, you whatever, no matter how good a jockey you or anyone else thinks you are, you can't go without the horse. And what she designed in the day one in Chatham, I mean, he had a greater will to win than I had. And, uh, you know, he made, you know, however much people think I made him look good, he made me look good every bit as I made him. So, um, I, I had a lot of very, very special days. You know, those were the, the, the Grand National going push it in the Gold Cup and thinking I got in happy days. I, I said breaking Sir Gordon Richards' record in 2002 for number of winners in the season by a jockey will always be my greatest achievement you know, whatever I have ever achieved and whatever I will achieve it will never be there will never be anything that will surpass that because he was 26 ch- times champion of that jockey he's the winning most jockey of all time um, you know to, to break a record that was there for 50, 55 years isn't always will be my, my greatest achievement yeah, the thing that most surprised me about the book, how you had this target every year to ride uh, 200 winners, given that, you know, the last 20 years you've been champion j- jump jockey now, I got no clue from the book what you are going to do next. No, that's because um, I know even less than everyone else. I, I honestly got no idea. It's something that I always said that I would never think about that my 
life as a jockey would be self-centered and very much only about being a jockey and not thinking what was going to happen um, at the other side of being a jockey. And um, I honestly haven't thought about it. Well, I'll find something that I can that, that can occupy my mind and make me somewhat happy. Well, well, let me roll some options to you. A bit of media work, a trainer, assistant trainer, a racing manager, something like Frank Berry's job. Are any of those things you would rule out? Uh, look, I don't know. Training, training is a very difficult thing, you know. I have had the, the pleasure and been lucky enough to, as, as we said, to work with some of the greats, you know. You know, if you're going to be a trainer, obviously if I, if I was ever thought about a trainer, I actually believe it, I would think about being a flat trainer more than a jump trainer. But then you're taking on Jim Bulger and you're taking on Aidan O'Brien. You know, you get somebody Aidan O'Brien, he's won 11 Irish derbies and he's five years older than me. Like, so, you know, that's knocked that on the head. There's no point There's not, no point having a go at being a trainer because um, coming along behind somebody like Aidan O'Brien, I'd feel miser- miserably. So I'm, I'm not going down that route. And um, what happens, I honestly don't know. Okay, how is your body? Uh, like, there isn't a bone Good. that hasn't been broken. Like, uh, do you face do you face difficulties into the future as you age? Ah, uh, sure, probably, but um, I wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, that is for sure. Um, but my body's in good shape. I, I I would like to think that I'm. I've always thought that I'm physically and mentally fitter than stronger than everyone else. So, um, even if I am dreaming, I still think that. And, um, that's what's kept me going, I think. The great Tony McCoy, and even if you're not a racing person, which, you know, I'm not a racing person, I don't think that's any secret, you have to admire McCoy and what he has achieved. Well, that's it for this week. We're back next Monday with reaction to Ireland against France in the Six Nations. We'll also have analysis of the first weekend of the Allianz Hurling League and we look back on the AIB All-Ireland Club Football Semi-Finals. Remember, you can contact us on any stage at mondayrewind at newstalk.com. Until next week, Take care. Now Murray for himself and over the line. And it looks good for Conor Murray. Look at Tommy O'Donnell go. And Ireland over the line for two tries in around two minutes. We certainly need to, to up our game. I do think that part of it was the pressure Italy put on us. I know we can do better than that and we're going to have to. Not away, back to Blint! Oh, he scored! Daly Blint equalises for Manchester United deep into injury time. A volley off the knockdown from the ball into the penalty area. West Ham hearts are broken. You know, I just feel that Manchester United have David De Gea to thank for keeping him in the game that long with the amount of saves that he had to make today. Charging forward down the right-hand side, ball in towards Peter Crouch. Crouch with the header over the top. There's the equaliser! You say scrappy, but I'm not too sure what game you're watching because... Uh, Second half, now we've done really well, like I said, we're outscoring, so um, your take on it is going to be different from everyone else, but uh, now credit to ourselves and Stoke coming away uh, to get a good result today, so now we're happy. I just thought the time was right. Um, I wanted to hopefully retire while I was champion jockey, and 20 is a good number, and um, I still enjoy it. I wanted to, you know, hopefully, while I was still riding well, I wanted to go out relatively at the top, so... Um, Time with for no man does it, so it's not going to wait for me. Quite emotional about it, aren't you? I am, yeah, because I, I love riding. It's, it's the right thing to do, you know. I, I'll, I'll hold judgment on that until we play some more games. I think people making judgments about somebody on one game is fickle in the extreme, but I do expect that from certain quarters. I have another five and a half weeks of doing my own thing, concentrating on the club, getting myself ready for an All Ireland final, and then, you know, I'll be able to go off 
into the sunset and, and, and decide whether I'm going to stay or not. And uh, that's a brilliant feeling to have. And I'm really looking forward to, to going to Crow Park now.